Guys, I love, love, love GPS. I mean, it has so decomplicated life. In the old days, really old days, you got out a Rand McNally map. Uh, a little bit later, you, you printed off the MapQuest directions. But now you don't do any of that. You just type in your address, hit it, and you're on your way. Step-by-step -step instructions, so simple, so uncomplicated. But not everything in modern life is totally decomplicated. Exhibit one, airline travel. Prior to 2001, airline travel was kind of fun and adventurous. We had a saying back then, you would hop on a plane and go somewhere. No one has talked about hopping on a plane for at least 20 years because it's much more complicated. Now, I am super grateful for the safety and security that have been brought in that we need. And I thank God for TSA and the work they're doing. They're doing their job. But let's admit it, it has gotten far more complicated. I can remember pulling up to uh, the airport maybe 20 minutes before my flight and just running to the gate. Today, you would never be able to do that. And if you attempted it, you'd be tased or worse. Uh, there were, I can remember boarding an airplane without any identification. Scary, I know. Taking on all sorts of stuff in your carry-on that you would never think of doing today. Uh, no, there were no security lines, there were no x-rays. Thankfully, we're safe and secure, but it's become far more complicated. So guys, today I want to decomplicate something, and that thing I want to decomplicate is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So come with me to Acts chapter 15, where the gospel got complicated for a little bit, and they had to straighten it out. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is always under the threat of becoming more complicated, more onerous, difficult than it needs to be, more involved with all sorts of extras added to the simple good news of Jesus and his love. And so today I want to talk about what really matters. How, how are we accepted by God? What is the good news? How are we forgiven? How do you know that uh, you're uh, a part of God's family, that your place in heaven is secure? And how do you communicate that to others? And what happens when we start adding on to what God has revealed to us? So this can apply in your personal life, just for your own knowledge. Also in the way that you talk about this to your family, to your friends, and to spiritual outsiders. And for the church as a whole to just keep the simple gospel simple. And that means that grace, the grace of God, is at the heart of everything. The grace of God is the heart of the gospel. So let's take back, start the movement of Jesus. Jesus uh, dies on the cross for our sins. He's raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven. But before he goes, he tells his disciples, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. And we follow along in the book of Acts, this great record of the early church about how they took the gospel uh, into Jerusalem and thousands believed. And then they began to spread out to Samaria. And then they went to, uh, to uh, the Gentiles with Cornelius, the first Gentile believer in Acts chapter 10. And then it went further out to Antioch. And now Paul and Barnabas have just completed their first missionary journey. Let's take a map, a look at a map of it. They took off from Antioch. They came all the way through Cyprus. And now they're returning back to Antioch. That's where we're heading. And the reach beyond Jerusalem, where the gospel started, has just become amazing. 
there, at first there was just a trickle of disciples who were non-Jewish. They were Gentiles. They weren't raised in a Jewish background. But now there's a raging river in the book of Acts of new disciples from a Gentile background. And at first the assumption was, well, everybody will just be absorbed into the Jewish faith and they're part of the synagogue. But after a while it became obvious that they were just pouring in as full-fledged disciples of Jesus without bothering to observe any of the Jewish background or cultural uh, necessities. And that was exciting to a lot of people. It was exciting to Paul and Barnabas to see these new people coming to faith in Jesus from these very uh, pagan, outsider backgrounds. But eventually it became disturbing to some. It became a concern to some, alarming to them. They said, now just hold on a second. Hold your horses. And they wanted to add on things to the good news of Jesus. They, did, they wanted to go beyond the simple gospel that Paul and Barnabas were teaching. And this beautiful, pure, simple gospel, they felt needed to have some restrictions or additions to it. More regulations, more cultural baggage, more like us, these folks thought. This is nothing new. The church has struggled with adding to grace since the church started 2,000 years ago. People want to add to the grace of God. So we're going to come to a passage where it's made very clear, uncomplicated, simple, and grace is at the heart of everything. And this matters to you because here's the first principle. Uh, first, there was, then, is now, and always will be a temptation to add to grace. Well-meaning people. Verse 1, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So these, um, these uh, men from Jerusalem heard about what was happening at Antioch and how God was doing amazing stuff. And Paul and Barnabas were telling all about the amazing ways that God was being known among the Gentiles, non-Jewish folks. And these guys said, wait a minute. They're not becoming Jewish first. And they specifically said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. We need to enlighten you about something. They had an agenda and they took a 300 mile journey. Here's the map. 300 miles from Jerusalem, they went clear up to Antioch just to tell them this. They felt they needed to set the record straight. This is not an overnight ride, guys. This like, took like 20 days, maybe even a month for these men to journey from Judea, from Jerusalem, up to Antioch. But they were very upset. They said they need to not just believe in Jesus through the grace of his cross, but they need to now become Jewish first or in addition. They need to be circumcised. That was uh, a... a um, a symbol of the covenant that God had with his ancient people. And they said, we're not going to just receive these people without them becoming Jewish first. So this was a, a huge uh, point of contention in the early days of the gospel. He says, you guys need, they said, you need to have the sacred surgery or you're really not even saved. You're not forgiven by God. Verse 2, it says, after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, which is kind of, uh, kind of a polite way of saying they got into a big fuss about this. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. 
was the good news the grace of God or was it grace plus the law of Moses? It says, verse 3, when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, how they were all turning to God in repentance and faith. And this brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Everybody was excited about this. Everybody was happy that these people from these non-Jewish backgrounds, these people coming out of pagan temples, were embracing Jesus as the Messiah. And so they took their own 300-mile journey back to Jerusalem to to settle this issue, this debate that was going on. Was it grace alone or was it grace plus law? When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders. So all the leaders are there and the entire church. And they reported all that God had done with them. They were received, Paul and Barnabas, like conquering heroes. It's like, way to go, guys. We're so great to hear and hear what God is doing. But, verse 5, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, now these are believers in Jesus, but they belong to the Jewish party of the Pharisees, which were strict law keepers, the strictest of all the Jewish sects and groups. They stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The Pharisees saying, we're not having these folks just waltz in and be forgiven of their sins just by grace alone. They need to do what we did. They need to be circumcised and they need to observe the 613 commands of Moses or they're not saved. They're not part of the true people of God. Now, when we hear Pharisees, and these are Christian believers who are Pharisees, when we hear Pharisees today, we think of somebody like Darth Vader, terrible uh, intimidating, mean-spirited, but in their day, they were more respected. Uh, in the day of Paul, Paul, Paul was from a Pharisee background. He had since come out of that, but there were a lot of believers from a Jewish background who are still law-abiding, pious, godly people, but they were still attached to some of that mindset a very strict law-keeping in order to be acceptable to God. In either case, Oh, no matter what you think about them, they dropped the law of Moses, they dropped the Moses name, and they thought that would settle the matter. It's not just circumcision, but all the commands of the law of Moses, and you ask yourself, what happened to the grace of God? And what happened was, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye. Because if they got their way in this case, the grace of God becomes part of salvation, but it's completed through going through the law of Moses. And so when they thought of the Gentiles, these Pharisees, they put out kind of an unwelcome. This was actually a photo from somebody here in the Des Moines Metro that's on their front door, unwelcome. That's what it felt like if you were not from that Jewish background, if you were talking to these Pharisees. Um, so let's keep going on. How were these Pharisees? You can understand it. This has, been their, this has been their background, but they were seriously tampering with the simplicity and the uncomplicated, sweet, amazing grace of Jesus. How were they adding to grace? Well, Scripture teaches that we're saved by grace alone. It teaches us that as followers of Christ, we, we follow him 
We are called to lead a holy life, but we don't earn our salvation or forgiveness by doing certain things. Instead, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And by trusting in his finished work, as we repent of our sins and trust in him, we're forgiven by grace alone. It's a gift of God. And then as a result of receiving that gift, we follow him out of love and gratitude in a holy life. But the holy life comes not in order to secure our salvation, but as the fruit and the result of knowing Christ and being saved. So that was normal. But what they were doing was something entirely different. Not saying that we're saved by grace and then we should follow Jesus, but rather there were conditions that were being attached to salvation. Circumcision, the 613 commands of Moses must be followed. In other words, you need to become Jewish and follow the law of Moses in order to be accepted by God. Christianity, Christ starts you, but Moses, following the law of Moses, that finishes the work of God. Paul and Barnabas sharply disagreed with him. This dynamic duo took offense to saying that all of these people who you say are saved, are, are converted to Christianity, are not really disciples of the Lord. They were adding to the grace of God. Today, 2,000 years later, there's always a tendency to want to add to the simple message of Jesus and his grace, his finished work on the cross. Today, people try to add to grace. They, they want to add maybe sacraments that are essential for salvation, rites or rituals. If you belong to our church, then you're truly a Christian. But if not, eh, kind of sketchy. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe groups that belong to kind of a, a view of eternal insecurity. You never really know whether or not you're forgiven. You just hope you keep your act in line and God will forgive you. This takes away from grace. A whole atmosphere of legalism where rule and law keeping not to follow Jesus, but to try to earn or merit our salvation. That takes hold and that's bad. Uh, there can be all sorts of cultural baggage, even kind of Christian subculture stuff, or in today's world, political stuff. It's like you gotta vote this way or believe this way on the left or on the right. If you really wanna be a Christian, that's what you do. And those things are very dangerous. Why? Now there may be, important things that we do to follow God, but they're not a part of our salvation. Salvation is a free gift by grace. It is the cross of Jesus Christ plus nothing that saves us. It is his grace alone. Uh, and what they wanted to do was say, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's the grace of God. And then they want to add a bunch of stuff. It's like, and the fine print. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, lots of stuff extra to do. And sometimes we can be guilty of that ourselves when we give the impression that somehow people need to earn or merit their salvation. Well, they gather together, and here's the second principle, is that God's grace alone is enough. No, really, it is. God's grace alone is enough to forgive us of our sins and to gain us everlasting life. So they got together a, a council, and this historically is called the Jerusalem Council. It was an epic, important, amazing moment in church history. Verse 6, the apostles and the elder, elders gathered to consider this matter. Was it grace alone or is it grace plus the law of Moses in order to experience salvation? Um, 
And grace alone is enough. And I want to give you all the testimony of Acts 15 to show that this is true. First, Peter gets up and he explains in verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware of the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. So he is referring back now to that moment when in Acts chapter 10 he went to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and he just shared the good news with him. And Cornelius believed the message of the good news of Jesus, his cross, his resurrection. He repented and believed and all of his household and the, the Holy Spirit came upon them, on, upon Captain Cornelius and all his household. He goes, you guys remember that? And they were really believers. That really happened there. He says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. There was no doubt about it. They were real believers. They were fully followers of Jesus. And they are cleansed. It says, verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. They were clean by faith in the grace of God alone. They weren't clean by obeying a bunch of extra Jewish laws and rules. As important as those may have been in the Old Testament to identify the people of God and to lead them to understand their need for grace, he says they were cleansed by faith alone, in grace alone, not by rituals, not by laws. And we saw it ourselves. And then he goes on to say, you know, verse 10, now then why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been, ever been able to bear? He says, being justified, being declared not guilty by doing the works of the law has never worked for anybody, hasn't worked for us, and it'll never work for them. Instead, the law just made us aware of our fallenness and our brokenness. And he warns these people who are trying to add to grace that you're testing God. You're pushing your luck with the Lord Almighty. Because y'all know we've never been able to bear the law's burdens for centuries. It's been a losing battle for all of us. Isn't it kind of hypocritical to now put that burden on these newbies to the Messiah movement? And he compares it to a yoke, the yoke. And this is a heavy a bar that's put on oxen to guide them. And, and, but it's a burden. It was a symbol of a burden laid on someone's backs. And these guys are talking to each other. He says, this is really heavy. This is really heavy. Because we've known it's heavy for centuries. Why are, it's never worked for us to be declared not guilty by following the law. Why would we put that on these newbies to the Messiah movement? They don't need to jump through those hoops. They need to trust in Jesus. And, the Pharise and he's saying, dude, seriously, you're going to put that on them? And the Pharisees are thinking, like Ricky Henderson, baseball player once said, all I'm asking for is what I want. You know, that's all. We want it to be this way. And they thought, you know, this is reasonable. And, and Peter's thinking, nah, the other way. He's thinking like this one. I just wanted to spark some discussion in the house of God. Remember this, the disaster girl thing? I just want, they want to spark some discussion. He says, you guys are burning the house down if you do that. You're taken away from the grace of God. You guys are testing God and it's not good. In fact, it reminds us what Jesus said to the experts back in the gospel of Luke. 
It says, Luke eleven forty six. 46, woe to you experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. He had warned them about legalism and now it's rearing its ugly head again. So the summary of what we've had so far is that the grace of God in Jesus is enough. We are saved by grace. Look at verse 11. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Here's the message we need to get. And somebody has said it this way. Look at this. The gospel is good news to be believed, not good advice to be achieved. This is so important for us to understand this. The gospel is good news. It's an announcement of God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, forgiving us of our sins through his cross and resurrection. We need to receive that as a free gift. It's not good advice. The gospel is not, here's how you live well enough in order to finally be accepted by God or loved by God. God has already loved us. He sent his only son for us. And what we need to do is believe the good news and we can be forgiven. Okay, keep going. Barnabas and Paul then get up and verse 12, the whole assembly after hearing Peter became silent. A hush fell over the crowd and they listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among all the Gentiles. So here's another, not only is Peter behind it, but Paul and Barnabas are saying God's doing miracles there. And everybody is saying, yeah, that's amazing. We know it's true because God's confirmed it by all the miraculous signs that he's doing there. And people were just hushed as they heard the, the message of God at work. And then another person gets up, James. This is Jesus' own brother, half-brother. He was an eyewitness to the resurrection. He was a no-nonsense Bible guy. Look what he says in verse 13. He is a pious, law-abiding Jewish man. His nickname, James' nickname was Old Camel Knees because he was known to spend so much time in prayer. If there was anybody who had street cred among Jewish people, it was James, the brother of our Lord. He, he was just an outstanding man of God. He held no official office, it appears, but when he spoke up, everybody listened. Verse 13. After they stopped speaking, now Peter, Paul, and Barnabas have gone. James responded, brothers, listen to me. Listen up. Simeon, that's the Jewish name for Simon Peter. Simeon, nice touch. Has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. God's, got, God's doing something here. And he's, he's at work in marvelous ways. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as is written. So now he goes back to the same Old Testament and says, this is all the plan of God. This isn't plan B. This is plan A. All along, God was saving people by grace, either the Jew or Gentile. Verse 16. After these things, he quotes uh, Amos, the prophet. I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. Good times are coming again prophesied in the Old Testament, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by name declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. In other words, James said, they're legit. God didn't goof up by including the Gentiles. This was his plan all along. 
And it was all by grace. They were to be included just along with all of us. We're the, yes, the people of Israel are the, are the ones who are chosen by God, but they're to be a blessing to all the nations and they're to be received freely by grace. God is now fulfilling his ancient promise. So James, this Jewish leader, he goes straight to the Old Testament. He's not gonna be outdone by some people that wanna point out some rules that are not being followed. He's saying, no, 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 you're missing the point. God has a plan. Third principle, God is fulfilling this. And when reaching out to others, let's not make it difficult for them. When reaching others who are spiritual outsiders, he says, let's not make it difficult for them. What happens, what he says next is a revolution. Let's not put up barriers to God that were never intended to be put up. You guys are adding extra things. And so he says in verse 19, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Let's not make it hard on them by having to do all these extra things that we have never been able to bear ourselves. But instead, we should write to them. Now he says they're saved by grace alone. But then he says, here's, here's, here's some simple counsel for godly living. This isn't about being forgiven. This is just the things that we would encourage them to do. Instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since the ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim in every city and every Sabbath day he has read aloud in the synagogues. He goes, guys, the Gentiles are going to hear the law of Moses and all the wisdom that's taught there. Not that they have to obey it like laws, but they'll hear the law of Moses because it's read every day in their cities. They hear it all the time. For centuries this has been happening. He says, we will advise them on three simple requests. He says, to be a real believer in Jesus, you just need to trust in Jesus Christ and his grace alone. And there are three simple things that we were going to ask of you. Let, let me cover these very quickly. First is, they said, watch out for idols. There is, they, they were involved, sometimes the Gentiles were involved in feasts that involved idolatry. He says, that's just not a good idea. Stay away from idolatry. This was always a concern uh, from a Gentile background. Second thing, he says, is beware of sexual immorality. Then and now, this has always been uh, a point where there's slippage, where there's, where there's compromise, where there's ethical compromise. The scriptures from ancient times had made clear that the only sexual relationship affirmed in the Bible is between one man and one woman in a loving marriage. But among the pagan and Gentile lands and peoples, there was a very lenient and lax attitude towards sexual immorality. Pretty much anything goes, especially if you're a man. You could do anything. And they're saying, you know, you need to take seriously what God calls us to a holy life and, and to follow him. So be careful about that because that is a, a stumbling block in their communities then and still today. And the third thing they said is uh, abstain from um, anything that has been strangled and from blood, they said, this, uh, this is going to interfere with table fellowship. And uh, in some pagan rituals, they would drink blood. And that was extremely offensive uh, to a Jewish brother. And so they said, let's, let's stay away from anything like that. That's just so connected to pagan idolatry that would just cause a disruption in our fellowship between Jew and Gentile. Let's build bridges 
instead of breaking those bridges down. Um, these were not requests that they made in order to be forgiven of their sins. They already said they're forgiven by grace alone. But they were simple requests of very common sins in the Gentile world that they just wanted to remind them of in a kind way to say, be careful about these. So grace alone, you're saved. And then having been forgiven and accepted fully by God, walk in holiness. But notice, they only asked for three things. There's, this is a revolution, guys. They didn't ask them anything about how they were to conduct their worship gatherings. They didn't ask them what kind of songs they should sing. They didn't tell them about any kind of how they should uh, construct their gathering. They didn't say anything about this. They just named three really common moral issues or fellowship issues. And they said, watch out for these, all right? We need to remember that. That's called majoring on the majors. Here at Valley Church, we talk about majoring on the majors, and we start in this way. We start with the core. What is it absolutely necessary in order to become a follower of Jesus? And that is turning in simple repentance for our sins and faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work of the cross. That's our core. What we must do in order to be saved. The, the next is the essentials of the faith. That is what Christians have believed and taught for 2,000 years that have clearly been taught. And we say we major on those majors, the core, what you need to be saved, and things that Christians have believed and taught for 2,000 years. Beyond that, we come to our convictions. And that is things that honestly believers in Jesus can have, godly people can have honest disagreement on. And there might even be scripture about them, but Christians have always uh, debated them. And so we say those are secondary matters and you might have different opinions on those but we can still fellowship together. And then the last ring out is our preferences and our preferences is what we usually fight about. And that things, those are things that the Bible says almost nothing about or nothing about and we elevate them and we say this is important if you really want to be godly or whatever you have to do this and it has to be this way and in, in church life oftentimes most things that cause disunity or disruption and many things that turn off spiritual outsiders to the Christian faith are not the core of the faith or the essentials of the faith. It's stuff that we elevate to minor matters, our convictions, our preferences, to the level of absolute truth. Got to be careful of that. At Valley Church, we major on the majors. It's a place of grace. Grace first, grace through everything. So they said, let's do what will make salvation clear. That's what Peter Paul and Barnabas and James are saying, and let's set some basic standards for Christian integrity and promote unity between believers from different backgrounds. This went over well. Verse 22, look at it. Then the apostles, the elders, and the whole church decided to select men who were among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men and among the brothers. They wrote a letter and it said this, and they were writing this to the Gentile believers who are gathered back in Antioch. From the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, everywhere the gospel has gone through Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey. Greetings. Verse 24. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts. He says, those guys that were telling you you had to obey all the law of Moses, you must be circumcised. We didn't send them. They're rogue. They went out on their own. That ain't us. We have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Saul. 
who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. So you send Paul and Barnabas back to the people, the Gentiles they've been working with, and you send representatives, Jewish men, from Jerusalem, just to make sure it all gets clarified and squared away. Verse 28, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. We agreed. Holy Spirit moved us, and we agree, not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. So he's saying, abstain from food offered idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, from sexual immorality. And look how kindly and gently they say it. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things for a while. No, they went out telling you all that stuff. It's the grace of Jesus that forgives and grace alone, grace of the heart of everything. And they said, these three simple things, keep them in mind. They'll help you walk with Jesus and they'll help you fellowship with believers from all different backgrounds. Grace is at the heart of everything. Grace in salvation, yes, grace alone. And grace in their relationships. They didn't bend over backwards to appease legalists, not at all. But they did make a small gesture of love and grace to mention those things that would build cultural bridges of fellowship, to avoid idolatry, to avoid sexual immorality, and to avoid things that are gonna um, disrupt fellowship between these two cultures. Um, but it was very minimal what they wrote. The absolute simple truth. Principle number four, grace fuels growth. You see, I think a lot of the legalists of those days and today are afraid that somehow if grace is just a free gift, that people are just going to run wild. And some people do take advantage of it. But if they really understand grace, it doesn't bring lawlessness. Rather, it brings encouragement to people's heart. People grow in an atmosphere of grace. Verse 30. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They said, wow. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. This is the pastor's, the preacher's very favorite verse of the entire Bible, a very long message. Ah, yes, but we bring it to a close. Grace doesn't close doors. Grace doesn't set people wild. Grace instead opens doors for more growth more encouragement. Verse 35, Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Antioch was an amazing place. It grew to be the center, the center of Christianity, except for Jerusalem, the center of Christianity for centuries to come. And it was all about grace. I want to give you uh, just some encouragement to look ahead to this fall, I want to just remind you, we're going to gather together just like they did in, the, in, in, in these days and celebrate together. Mark your calendar down for Sunday, September 12th. We're going to launch five great weekends called Living as Light. We're going to have extra special stuff. People of God can gather and celebrate. I'm just looking forward to that sort of reunion just like they had at Antioch. So mark that down. But I close today with five questions and ask you to look within your heart. First question is this. Are you trusting in the grace of Christ alone for salvation. The gospel is good news to be believed, not good advice to be achieved. Believe the good news. Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. Believe the good news and be forgiven. Receive him today.
Second question. Are you today a refugee from a performance-based background or cultural Christianity? Have you had so many things added on to you and you long to breathe the fresh air of grace? You can. Jesus gives you salvation and welcomes you with open arms. Grace is at the heart of everything, his love and mercy. Thirdly, have you tried to add to grace in your own life or toward others? Have you been subtly or even unintentionally kind of giving people expectations that they need to do this in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven? Instead, rest in grace and trust that God can work in their hearts through grace alone. Number four, have you taken advantage of God's grace and used it as an excuse to do wrong? If you say, well, if I'm forgiven by grace alone, then I can live however I want. That's really treading on grace. That's, that's taking it for granted. That's cheap grace. God calls you instead to grow in grace, to grow in an atmosphere where God loves you and accepts you, but also wants you to become what he wants you to become, just like Jesus Christ himself. And then number five, are you willing to take a risk and share with at least one life, one person God has put into your life about God's free grace? I encourage you, share the good news. Let's close in prayer. Father, today we come to an incredible passage of scripture that just elevates your grace. Help us to take its encouraging message for all of us to heart, whether it's to first time we believe this message of grace or just need to be reminded of your amazing grace or needed to rest in that grace or need to be careful not to add to that grace. Help us to walk in your grace today. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. God bless you all.